Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fired Up, right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I host the show for you each week. And as always, we're going to talk about all things political here in the United States of America. So I hope everybody uh, is all strapped in for another week as we now are squarely in the month of August. Can't believe how much of the year has already gone by. Wow. Anyway, so, you know, what have we got going on? Well, of course, we're in the political season as we uh, begin to work our way toward the 2024 election. And I want to talk not particularly about the election per se or, you know, the politicians, but I may touch on them during the course of this. What I really want to talk about, what I really want to bring as the message, uh, at least for the first half of this show, is uh, an observation that the electorate, the people that uh, go to the polls and cast the ballots, us, uh, that there's, there's work we need to do. Uh, we need to be looking hard at exactly who it is who's running for offices that uh, they are looking for us to elect them into. And that could be at the local level, that could be at the state level, uh, and it could be at the federal level as well. Uh, There's a lot of news media coverage about uh, the federal races. Uh, Those are, of course, important. But the rubber meets the road. The real work is done at the state level. And I I believe we don't pay enough attention attention rather to how we participate in elections at the state and local levels. Um, It's not to say that there isn't a lot going on and that there uh, is a lack of communication coming out from uh, potential candidates uh, for your local offices and your state offices. I I, I can't be in, you know, 50 states and all of the tens of thousands of precincts out there. Uh, but uh, what I do see in a broad sense is that uh, the political process in this country at the state and local level mirrors what's going on at the national level, meaning that there is a political divide that is apparent uh, at those levels as well as uh, at the national level. Indeed, it might be the uh, divisions uh, between the political parties at the the state level actually is feeding the divisions that we see at the national level. Uh, but we'll we'll dive into that uh, downstream from here. Uh, what I mean uh, when I say the the divides is that uh, it appears that the American political system, uh, the system of Uh, democratically electing people to public office uh, is being uh, controlled, for lack of a better term, by the extremes of the uh, voting uh, uh, party, the the public voting. Uh, And, you know, by that I mean we see a lot of energy uh, pumped into the campaigns from the extreme right and from the extreme left, and not so much uh, coming you know, out of the middle of the electorate. Uh, we don't see a, uh, a lot of energy that uh, is being 
generated and acted upon by those of us who you know sit you know in the middle whether we are you know uh, more uh, uh, liberal or progressive uh, leaning republicans or you know more conservative uh, and you know progressive leaning democrats uh, we seem to be uh, stuck in a world that is dominated by the extreme left and the extreme right. And meanwhile, the vast majority of American voters who occupy the middle seem to be uh, quiet. Uh, there was a phrase coined uh, years ago uh, that was uh, coined by, I believe it was Richard Nixon, who called uh, that group the great silent majority. And you know, that actually is a, a, a truism that has uh, weathered the test of time in that we have seen in political elections uh, over the last 50 years that there is that group of people, that block of voters that occupies the, the center, uh, center right and center left of the political spectrum that doesn't seem to be uh, really vociferous, doesn't seem to be uh, working extremely hard to get uh, their message heard or to make their influence felt. Unlike what we see from you know, the, the extremes of the parties uh, that seem to drive the narrative, uh, you know, it is clear that uh, those of us who occupy the, the center uh, really uh, are almost unheard uh, in, in terms of you know, the exercise of their political power or, or the sounding of their political voices. Now, before you, you know, try and beat me up or you know, go through all of the machinations about, uh, well, you're speaking in you know, very broad generalities. Yes, I am. Uh, like I said, I am one individual. Uh, I happen to uh, occupy a space over here on the eastern coast of the United States. I'm not in the Midwest. I'm not on the West Coast. I'm not in the Northwest or the Southwest. So, you know, my access to perspective from other regions of the country is limited by what I can obtain through my sources of information. However, having said that, uh, what it appears to me to be, and again, in my opinion, is that there is a large, large block. The majority of the American population is neither far right nor far left. That fact is pretty much uh, you know, undisputable. Uh, where the, the issue comes in is what that group, uh, whether they are, you know, Democrat, Republican, Independent, or you know, whatever political party they affiliate with, that uh, that mainstream um, silent majority block of voters uh, seems to be dormant until the time of, you know, the the national elections, whether it's the uh, the four-year presidential cycle or the uh, two-year uh, off-year cycle, uh, they seem to, you know, stay, you know, in the woodwork until, you know, the call goes out 
uh, for the vote to come in and then they show up and vote you know whichever way they're going to vote and you know to me in my opinion that is you know really a a a shame uh, it is something that uh, has a negative impact on you know what's happening in our political system and it is something that we need to address so like any problem uh, first thing first you need to identify uh, the the conditions that apply so in this country in the United States of America there are some 330 to 340 million men women and children uh, who live here of those uh, roughly about 230 to 250 million are of voting age uh, so that's you know men and women 18 years old and older uh, across all the demographics across all the political parties and everything so if we take that as a starting point and look at the presidential election in um, 2020 we see that roughly about 155 to 160 million uh, voters uh, actually exercised their vote now again 230 voting age and up residents 150 to 160 uh, million voted that leaves about 90 million people who, for whatever reason uh, there is, whether they uh, sat out the election by choice, uh, their votes were uh, disenfranchised or disallowed or somehow some other way interfered with, whatever. Uh, the number we're left uh, is what I, what I said, about 150 to 160 million uh, registered uh, active voters. Now, of those, of those, uh, roughly half uh, voted along the Democratic side of uh, the the available candidates, and uh, roughly the same amount uh, voted along the Republican side. So the vote was uh, split. Uh, I believe the the final tally was something like fifty three percent to forty seven percent, or you know some some ratio along those lines um, what what that means is that as I said there was still roughly about 90 million people who were eligible to vote who didn't vote and the question you know becomes and is one uh, that's been discussed you know since the election is why and the, the short answer or the answer I have to give you at this point is I don't know uh, you know, there, as I said, there could be a lot of systemic reasons why uh, it didn't happen. You know, there are a lot of uh, potential reasons why 90 million people didn't exercise the vote they're entitled to to exercise. Uh, be that as it may, uh, the end result is that, again, the the driving force behind both of those groups on either side, uh, Democrat and Republican, uh, really were driven by the extreme ends of you know, their political group. Uh, if we're talking about you know, Republicans and, and conservatives, the extreme right was the 
loudest voice or voices in the room and they drove a lot of uh, the votes that went to Republicans uh, to Republicans. Same thing could be said for uh, Democrats, although Democrats tended to be a little more soft-spoken. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so the end result is that we have an electorate that is being driven by the extremes. Uh, the, the tails on either end are wagging the dog. Uh, so, you know, this is something that is one of the issues that needs to be addressed. Uh, the second issue is those, as I said earlier, who are in the middle, the, the so-called, uh, you know, silent majority that, you know, for whatever reason, uh, weren't heard from in the election. So the, the issue for both sides uh, for Republicans and Democrats uh, is, as it always has been, getting the message to that, that central group in order to bring them you know, into the respective uh, camps. Now, you know, as we've talked about in other shows, uh, we are a two-party system. Uh, yes, there are you know, independent voters and there are voters from other parties, but effectively, because they control the overwhelming uh, lion's share of the, the voting public in this country, we have two parties uh, here in the U.S. We have Democrats and we have Republicans. Uh, both have you know, very, very strong ideological differences. Uh, both have uh, you know, uh, natural constituencies and, and other groups that align with their philosophies, with their platforms, and, and vote with those parties uh, year over year, decade over decade. Now, that is, is a given, that there are uh, constituent groups that, for whatever reasons they have, uh, choose to align with either of those two polar opposites in our political system. The the problem that we see and the, the, the troubles that we see shaping up for 2024 is, uh, in a sense, uh, some blurring of the lines on the right and uh, what you know, I'm, I'm calling a, a lack of effective uh, counter-messaging uh, on the left. What do I mean by that? Well, the, the Republican side uh, right now is, uh, you know, by all accounts, uh, in a sense of turmoil. The Republican Party has some noticeable, uh, some visible and, you know, public-facing uh, stress cracks within their own ranks. Um, a lot of it is wrapped around uh, the, the 45th president, Donald Trump, but other uh, elements of it are more akin to, you know, the political messaging and the political posturing uh, that we see going on coming out of uh, the political right in this country. Contrast that with the, uh, the left uh, and the Democrats, and we see a, a group that seems uh, reluctant in some ways, uh, and you know, uh, well, just leave it at reluctant 
to to really bring a strong and forceful message uh, since they are the power the party in power at the moment they control uh, two-thirds of the governing uh, bodies uh, in this country they are in control of the political and economic agenda uh, even though Republicans might argue differently but they are also in my opinion guilty of inadequate inadequately messaging their advantage what do I mean by that so if we look at the current economic picture which all polls seem to indicate that uh, the economy is you know, one of the top three elements of the concern of the general public uh, with you know where the country is going at the present time the Democrats uh, over the last two years under President Biden have uh, achieved what in any other time in American history would be uh, perceived as a really strong uh, victory uh, inflation which was a problem that got decidedly worse due to the pandemic and other factors um, has been effectively uh, cut by nearly two-thirds uh, unemployment remains at a a half century low uh, in and around uh, three point something percent uh, you know all of these elements um, the the markets uh, continue to do generally well uh, all of these things in you know in the past in prior election cycles would be clear uh, clear tickets to victory for the party uh, in power and in charge of those elements what we're seeing is that even though these uh, situations are in place for you know for numerous reasons the Democrats seem uh, unable or unwilling to forcefully capitalize on their advantage now that's not to mean that they aren't out there on the on the stump uh, talking up you know how well the administration has done with the economy and unemployment and and so forth but what I I don't hear and I as I look in you know uh, regional and, and in some cases local politics reporting um, I don't see a large and strong and vociferous uh, Democratic cadre talking up uh, the benefits of the uh, Democrat achieved economic uh, blessings that we now see on the other side I see Republicans who are clearly uh, not really looking like they have a strong guiding star that they are heading to uh, they have not uh, as a national party put out a platform uh, other than you know saying that you know they they stand behind Donald Trump um, they have expended a lot of money uh, attacking the uh, Democrats by means of non-economic or non-political uh, uh, agenda items i.e. Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop and you know uh, the anti-woke 
crusades and so forth. While these, you know, make great sound bites in some in some circles, uh, they really don't give us a message of what exactly it is that the Republican Party stands for. And historically, the Republican Party has always had a very solid platform of, you know, smaller government, lower taxes, uh, you know, all of these kinds of, of elements, um, you know, growing the economy, you know, for the, for the wealthy and expecting it to trickle down to everyone else and so on and so forth. They're not even pushing, you know, those historic Republican platform issues. Uh, and, you know, yet still, they remain competitive. Uh, the, the reasoning for that, you know, I'm, I'm not psychologist enough to get into, you know, the, the, the mental processes that Republican voters are using to explain their loyalty. And in fact, truth be told, uh, it, it is something that I frequently am, am, am found scratching my head asking why. Why are you, you know, so strongly supporting the, the group of candidates that you are putting forward when, you know, they are not talking to you about what, if anything, they have accomplished? Uh, that should be your number one guiding factor in terms of whether or not you choose to either return them to their elected offices or elect them to offices in the first place. So, you know, it, it is... An interesting conundrum in that you have one side which is, you know, angrily and, and loudly complaining about uh, the the social problems uh, that the the other side is creating, and the other side is not uh, coming back at that by saying, you know, look, we have accomplished A, B, C, D, E you are benefiting from it. You are starting to see those benefits roll forward. Uh, recognize that, you know, it is, it is not them that has been, you know, that has given you this or that has brought us here. It is us. We have accomplished these things to move our nation forward. So, you know, that, that's kind of the, the why of it. The what do we do of it? Well, um, as we say on, on this program frequently, um, we, that is the, the mass of us in the middle that is you know, generally overlooked by the far right and the far left, we need to make our voices heard at the ballot box and we need to make our voices heard in the, um, the, the city halls, the state legislatures, and you know the House and the Senate uh, and the White House in Washington, that you know we are not satisfied with where this country sits, and we expect that they, the elected officials we have, are going to make appropriate changes, are going to give us answers to you know what we what we need to know, in order to understand how this country is functioning. And uh, no, that does not mean we want to know what's going on, what's the latest scoop on Hunter Biden. Uh, we do not want to know uh, really what uh, the 
the uh, the gang of twenty in the House uh, think about you know the the current president. We want to know what they want to do, how they are going to do it, and what's going to be the outcome. Uh, we have some some major issues coming up. The budget for the coming fiscal year is still unresolved. Now, while we did quote avoid close quote uh, a, a debt ceiling default uh, we did so by kicking the can down the road into 2025 after the next election basically you know leaving it for whoever takes over the administration to address uh, we have a situation where in order to achieve uh, the 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 goals we have in terms of economics there were deals made between the Democrats and the Republicans. Well, now we're hearing news that says that uh, in, in many ways, uh, the Republicans are looking like they're going to renege on, on those deals. So, you know, we, we have this problem of you know, ego-driven politics in this country that ultimately is not allowing us to get anything substantive accomplished now yeah we're getting stuff some stuff done but you know when when we look at what we need to get done all we seem to be getting back is uh, finger pointing and scapegoating and you know as as we advocate here on the fired up podcast uh, that is unacceptable and we need to be holding our elected officials 100% accountable for where we are as a nation and where we're going and you know the the key things that we need to get done uh, in order to uh, have you know security and you know economic viability uh, and restore our status in the world as you know a a global leader uh, and you know really do these things uh, irregardless of whether or not uh, we as Democrats like what the Republicans do, or we as Republicans uh, think the Democrats are, you know, incompetent, whatever. So, you know, what we need to do, uh, what that aforementioned uh, great, you know, silent majority needs to do is we need to stop being silent. We need to, uh, in, in real short order, we are, what, 17 months out from the 2024 election. We need to uh, be heating up the communications channels uh, with our, our state legislatures, with our local legislatures, with our, our federal uh, legislators about what needs to happen and how soon they need to do it, how soon being right now. So, you know, as always, you know, with this show, we are constantly reminding that you need to identify who your elected officials are and communicate with them, either, you know, in person, by phone, by email, by fax, by text message, however you need to communicate with them. Uh, we need to get that communication going, uh, engage with them and let them know that, you know, this this childish behavior that we are witnessing uh, has to stop and it has to stop now uh, it's every time for everybody to grow up put on their big big boy and big girl clothes 
and you know adult up and get the job we sent them to their office to do done uh, no ifs no ands no buts so you know let me know what you think about that if you have an opinion on it please send your comments in an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com I'd love to hear your thoughts your ideas and your suggestions on how we get our elected officials to you know stop playing these childish games stop playing this uh, finger pointing blame casting what about isms and and all of that and you know get down to work and get done what needs to get done keep in mind Washington is on vacation until the end of this month when they get back they are going to have uh, two or three weeks to get done among other things uh, the 12 uh, appropriations bills that need to happen in order for the federal budget to be processed they're going to need to get together and uh, uh, decide on how they're going to address uh, the debt ceiling that will come due uh, after the first of the year they're going to need to decide on how uh, they're going to handle uh, you know the the inflation problem and help it continue to uh, get reduced uh, so you know there's a lot on their plate that they are going to need to get done and there's not a whole lot of time to do it once they come back from this month-long vacation they've taken so you know as I said send me your thoughts fired up radio at yahoo.com is the email address I'd love to hear what you think uh, our our government is doing isn't doing or you know needs to do better uh, or just plain needs to do so you know send me what you're thinking fired up radio at yahoo.com all right let's take our break here when we come back on the other side uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more and then I want to follow up on you know what's coming out of Montgomery Alabama uh, with uh, the brawl uh, on the dock down there. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. We'll be right back after the break. Young John Lewis, you're so full of passion. In your lifetime, you will be arrested 45 times in your mission to help redeem the soul of America. In 1956, when you were only 16 years old, you and some of your brothers and sisters and first cousins went down to the public library, trying to get library cards, trying to check out some books. And you were told by the librarian that the library was for whites only, not for colors. I said to you now, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have a moral obligation to continue to speak up, to speak out. You became so inspired by Dr. King and Rosa Parks that you got involved in the civil rights movement. Something touched you and suggested that you write a letter to Dr. King. You didn't tell your teachers, you didn't tell your mother and your father. Dr. King wrote through back. 
and invited you to come to Montgomery. In the meantime, you have been admitted to a little school in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was there that you got involved in the sit-ins. You would be sitting there in an orderly, peaceful, nonviolent fashion, and someone would come up and spit on you. Put a light cigarette down your back, pour hot water, hot coffee, hot chocolate on you. You got arrested the first time, and you felt so free. You felt liberated. You felt like you had crossed over. Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty! You probably will never believe it, but the boy from Troy, as Dr. King used to call you, will become the embodiment of nonviolence in America. We must say, wake up, America, wake up, for we cannot stop, and we will not and cannot be patient. Two years after you speak at the march on Washington, you will see the face of death leading the march for voting across the Pettus Bridge in Selma. We're marching today from Selma to Montgomery. We're marching to our state capital to dramatize to our nation and to the world our determination to win first prize citizenship. Troopers here advance toward the group. You would make it. You would live to see your mother and father cast their first votes. The change we need doesn't come from Washington. Change comes to Washington. You also live to see this segregated nation you lived in. Still an African-American president and his family to the White House. And guess what? Guess what? Young John, that some divine providence has lived to send a message down through the ages, that man will be nominated on the 45th anniversary of the March on Washington. And all of those signs that you saw as a little child that said, white men, colored men, white women, colored women, those signs are gone. And the only places you will see those signs today will be in a book, in a museum, on a video. John, thank you for going to the library with your brothers, your sisters, and cousins. You were denied a library card. You were sad. But one day, you've been elected to the Congress. You wrote a book called Walking with the Wind. And the same library invited you to come back for a book signing 
couple of blacks and white citizens showed up. And after the book signing, they gave you a library card. And believe as Dr. King and A. Philip Randolph and others taught you that we're one people. And it doesn't matter whether we're black or white, Latino, Asian American, or Native American. That maybe our foremothers and our forefathers all came here in different ships. And we're all in the same boat now. John, you understood the words of Dr. King when you said we must learn to live together as brothers and sisters. If not, we would perish as fools. Rest in peace, Representative John Lewis. And thank you. And God bless you. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. Uh, as always, this is Steve. I host the show. And I uh, just want to say, you know, the, the words from uh, the late iconic Congressman John Lewis uh, always continue to resonate. But in particular, uh, given, you know, the, the goings on uh, that we talked about in the first segment and in general, uh, particularly as, as we'll talk about later on in this, this segment, uh, the events that happened down in Montgomery uh, talk about uh, the need uh, sometimes for you know, people of good conscience to get into that, quote, good trouble that uh, John Lewis mentioned uh, in, in that statement and so many times throughout his career. So you know, we're always thankful for the words that we have uh, from John Lewis, and we can always use them. Uh, as we move forward in our own lives. All right, uh, wanted to tie up a couple of loose ends on what we talked about in the first segment, and that is uh, the electorate here in the United States and uh, the so-called silent majority uh, that resides uh, in the middle between the far left and the far right. Uh, that majority uh, you know, may not be uh, vociferous, but when the need arises or when the cause is worthy, uh, they will come up and stand up for uh, the, the issues that are right. Uh, just this past week in Ohio, uh, there was a referendum that was brought forward um, by Republicans in that state to try and cut off uh, the process by which uh, a, a ballot measure uh, was going to be decided uh, that would uh, address the uh, abortion issue in uh, Ohio. Uh, essentially, the Republicans were looking to, among other things, uh, raise the threshold for a successful ballot initiative from the current standard of 50% plus one vote uh, to a 60% uh, supermajority vote uh, in order for a measure to appear on the ballot. Well, that uh, was put uh, because of the need with this upcoming uh, ballot initiative that was on the fall ballot. Uh, they wanted to try and preclude that from happening. 
by uh, implementing this uh, supermajority requirement for ballot initiatives, which would have essentially shut that issue down. Uh, so they convened a special uh, election in August uh, in order to have a referendum vote on uh, that issue. Now, keep in mind that not six months earlier, roughly around the start of the year, uh, they had voted to eliminate uh, August um, uh, special elections uh, to occur because, in their words, uh, it was a, a waste of money as voter turnout was always so incredibly low as to really not being worth the effort to conduct the election. Well, lo and behold, this uh, uh, measure that they ended up allowing to happen because they were under the pressure of the upcoming uh, referendum vote in the fall uh, ended up being uh, voted on by more than three million Ohio voters and uh, this this measure called issue one was defeated uh, by a 57-43 majority so you know, the Republicans, uh, I guess, thought they could bring this measure, uh, get it done with a small uh, electorate turnout and, you know, use their numbers in that case to to win the day. And, you know, basically um, found out that, no, when sufficiently motivated, uh, the the progressive forces uh, can rally around the cause. And we saw the same thing happen in Kentucky and in uh, Wisconsin with uh, Supreme Court justice there who won in an overwhelming majority. And, you know, in uh, Kentucky and in Kansas, uh, similar uh, initiatives, again, on uh, protecting uh, women's reproductive rights uh, and uh looking to defeat a proposed abortion ban uh, won by overwhelming majorities. So the message is clear that, you know, when I guess the, the uh, reasoning or the purpose is something that is you know, very uh, near and dear to the hearts and minds of the voters, that they will in fact turn out. Now, what needs to happen is we need to carry that same amount of energy uh, through to regularly cycled elections as we go forward. Uh, typically, we see off-year elections or the midterm elections uh, generally have a much lower voter turnout than the national cycle uh, presidential elections do and so forth. So, I mean, the 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 possibility is there for you know large numbers of voters to turn out uh, they just need to and we need to encourage each other to get out there and do it on a regular basis not just when there is an urgent or pressing need uh, for an answer to a a question posed to the voters so uh, just wanted to add that in uh, as as part of the discussion all right, let's um let's turn the page right here, and if you you know have been off the planet, 
and you know weren't following the news then you missed the uh, the story that came out of Montgomery Alabama uh, last week uh, about a fight uh, or a brawl actually that broke out on a boat dock in uh, Montgomery where uh, a, a group of individuals who had parked uh, their or docked their part pontoon boat in uh, space that's reserved for uh, a uh, Montgomery City uh, uh, ferry boat that does uh, tours uh, and when the co-captain of that boat uh, approached the, uh, the, the people on the pontoon boat uh, to move their boat because they were basically illegally parked uh, a fight broke out and initially uh, there were uh, first one then three then five then seven um, people beating up this co-captain uh, by the way the co-captain was black and the assailants were all uh, white and you know essentially you know in, in the short version of the story uh, uh, observers from uh, not only the the ferry but from another ferry uh, who saw what was going on came to the aid of this captain and and basically um, you know beat the you know what out of the people who initially attacked uh, the captain uh, that's a very abbreviated version of the story um, go to YouTube and you know search Montgomery brawl and you'll get you know all the videos that have been uh, posted to social media about that um, of course you know this has stirred a lot of energy and uh, emotion and concern not to mention um, you know just tons of, of memes and you know uh, parodies and, and all kinds of, of things t-shirts and all of that uh, related to this uh, but more importantly uh, it it galvanized uh, what was a a moment uh, a, a any event you know uh, uh, a fight uh, into uh, almost its own movement uh, it has uh, it has uh, elevated uh, the awareness of the need for more justice for people of color uh, in this country and in uh, Montgomery in particular. Uh, there are a lot of factors that go in behind this, um, but there was an article that came out. This article came from the Associated Press, it was published on the 13th of August, uh, and uh, the headline is Alabama Riverfront Brawl videos spark a cultural moment about race, solidarity, and justice. And uh, as I said, this, this event has spawned, you know, just a multitude of memes, jokes, parodies, reenactments, and, you know, a, a plethora of t-shirts and other uh, memorabilia about it. Um, and while you know some of the memes and, and jokes and so forth are um, particularly humorous, uh, there really was was not a whole lot humorous about this event. Uh, it, it's illustrative of 
a a problem that we have seen surface in this country revolving around so-called white privilege uh, where uh, the the group in the pontoon boat believed that the rules didn't apply to them they didn't have to move so what if there was a a ferry with 200 passengers uh, waiting to dock where their boat was parked they'll just have to wait so on and so forth uh, but let me go through this article from the Associated Press. Uh, again, this came out on August 13th, and uh, it, it starts off with, as bystanders train their smartphone cameras on the riverfront dock while several white boaters pummeled a black riverboat co-captain, they couldn't have known the footage would elicit a national conversation about racial solidarity. Yet a week after multiple videos showing the now infamous brawl and violent defense of the outnumbered co-captain were shared widely on social media, it's clear that the event truly tapped into the psyche of black America and created a broader cultural moment. Uh, sociology professor at Tulane University, Andrea Boyles, said a long history of anti-black racism and attacks and current events likely man magnified the attacks impact and response. Uh, she goes on to state that, uh, especially at a time like now, where we see an increase in anti-black racism through legislation and otherwise, whether we're thinking about history, the banning of black history, the curriculum and all sorts of things across the state of Florida and elsewhere, she said, so this is why it is on the forefront of people's minds and folks are very much tuned in uh, black people in particular and that's a quote from andrea boyles of tulane university uh, the uh, the article goes on to say that many see the august 5th ordeal on the riverfront dock in montgomery alabama's capital city steeped in civil rights history as long-awaited answer to countless calls for help that went unanswered for, for past black victims of violence and mob attacks. Uh, quote, we all witnessed a white mob doing this to him, said Michelle Browder, an artist and social justice entrepreneur in Montgomery, describing the attack by boaters on the black riverboat called co-captain. Uh, after being inundated with images and stories of lethal violence against black people, including motorists and, tra and traffic stops, church parishioners and grocery shoppers, the video from Montgomery struck a chord because it didn't end in the worst of outcomes for black Americans. Uh, the uh, quote, uh, for Montgomery to have this moment, we needed to see a win. We needed to see our community coming together and we needed to see justice. Videos of the brawl showed the participants largely divided along racial lines. Several white men punched or shoved the Black Riverboat co-captain after he took a separate vessel to shore and tried to move their pontoon boat. The white boater's private vessel was docked in a spot designated for the city-owned Harriet II Riverboat on which more than 200 passengers were waiting to disembark. Uh, the video goes on to show mostly black people rushing to the co-captain's defense, including a black teenage riverboat crew member who swam to the dock. The videos also showed the ensuing brawl that included a black man hitting a white person with a folding chair. So stepping out of the article for a second, it should be noted that many people have you know, disavowed the action 
of uh, the individuals being hit with folding chairs regardless of who was swinging the chairs. Uh, and in fact, if you watch the video, uh, it was not only uh, several male uh, combatants being struck, but also at least one female uh, was struck. Uh, and I'll touch back to that in a second, so put a pin in that. Um, as of Friday, Alabama police had charged four white people with misdemeanor assault. The folding chair-wielding man turned himself in on Friday and was charged with disorderly conduct. And that was the, the um, black man who struck uh, several people with a folding chair, as I just mentioned. So, you know, several of the fighters were actually from the crew of the Harriet II and uh, had, had come to the aid of their boat's co-captain. Um, they, and according to the captain of the vessel, uh, several members of his crew seen confronting the pontoon boat party after the riverboat docked felt they had to retaliate, which was unfortunate. So, you know, and, and, and again, it, you know, two wrongs don't make a right in this case where uh, the original individuals were wrong for one parking their uh, or docking their their boat where it shouldn't have been docked. And then two, uh, basically attacking the uh, employee of that uh, ferry for informing them and, and asking them to move or trying to move their boat. Um, so, you know, it, it's, you know, as I said, it, it has spawned a, a huge amount of discussion. Uh, it has spawned uh, quite a bit of humor. Uh, you know, in, in one segment, you see the co-captain uh, uh, toss his hat into the air, which, uh, according to reports I've seen on some of the videos, uh, is uh, something like an emergency signal, you know, for others uh, and has been kind of uh, pushed into memes uh, saying that it's it's akin to sending the quote bat signal, you know, referring to the the uh, signal that is used to summon uh, the DC comic character Batman, um, and you know it it's you know just part of what has become a uh, a serious and intense and at the same time uh, somewhat uh, humorous. Uh, discussion of this incident uh, and you know created much of the the buzz that is going on about this uh, now you know you have to take into account the where this incident occurred uh, number one this incident occurred uh, you know in Montgomery Alabama which uh, is the the heart of uh, what was once the Confederate States. In fact, it was once the capital of the Confederacy. Um, but there's been a, a huge amount of history in, in terms of uh, slavery and Confederacy and the, the uh, Civil War and all of that, all the way up through that the location where this, uh, this happened where uh, the Montgomery was the riverfront area where enslaved people were once unloaded 
from newly arrived ships uh, in the uh, in in the uh, Eastern Passage uh, and sold at auction at that dock. Uh, the area is also a few blocks from the spark, spot where Rosa Parks was arrested for disobeying bus segregation laws. Uh, so you know there there is a long long history. Uh, that goes with uh, the city of Montgomery, as well as this particular location. Uh, according you know, to uh, one person, uh, Timothy Welbeck, uh, director for, of the Center for Anti-Racism at Temple University in Philadelphia, is quoted as saying, this is the home of the bus boycott. This is the home of intense racialized segregation and various forms of resistance today, he said. Even if there wasn't an explicit mention of race, many people saw a white man assaulting a black man as a proxy for some of the racist behavior that they've seen before. Uh, it brought about a sense of solidarity and unified fate, too, in this particular moment. So, you know, it is, uh, it is interesting, at the, in, at the least, to say that in an area, in a state, in a city, in a location steeped in so much uh, racial history, uh, history of hatred, history of um, segregation, history of the outcomes of uh, the treatment of enslaved people that were brought to this country, you know, in the, the 1600s, um, that we had this uh, brawl occur where uh, essentially uh, the, for lack of a better term, uh, the the black people won, uh, and you know maybe uh, recouped a little sliver of uh, payback. So um, there's more coming from this. There are still investigations going on. Uh, there is an investigation to see if this was and, and can be classified as a hate crime, although preliminarily uh, the police department is saying that the FBI has not uh, ruled it as a hate crime. Uh, however, we will see. Obviously, there will be legal activities that come from this. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, there you know, hopefully will be uh, some uh, teachable moments that are brought out from this, uh, not only for uh, people in pontoon boats and, and you know, just want to park their boats wherever they believe they have a privilege to do so, but also for, you know, responding to uh, episodes like this. So we will see what transpires. Um, stay tuned. And if you haven't, I said, go to YouTube, go to your uh, search engine of choice and search for Montgomery Brawl and you'll get the full measure of all of the videos and memes and articles for sale and, and jokes and comments and so forth. Uh, it, it has been an interesting subject to keep track of. Uh, we will continue to monitor it and see you know, what the outcomes are. Uh, as I said, there is likely to be legal action uh, that transpires, so we'll let you know when uh, that becomes uh, public knowledge. Uh, last, last piece, of course, uh, in the national picture, um, 
all eyes are on Fulton County, Georgia, where uh, as of the airing of this show, uh, we are now officially on uh, indictment watch for uh, the uh, case being brought by uh, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis uh, against former President Trump and 11 other individuals uh, with regard to the attempted shakedown of Georgia officials uh, in the uh, election scandal of uh, 2020 and 2021. So probably by the time Uh, The next episode of Fired Up comes out in a week's time. Uh, We will likely have uh, an indictment to discuss uh, as we tally up uh, Donald Trump's fourth uh, criminal indictment. Now, interestingly enough, and we will go into this in more detail uh, probably in next week's show. Once it's clear that we have all four of these indictments in place. Um, the federal indictments, if, you know, should Donald Trump be successful in his bid to become president, uh, he can, in fact, make the federal indictments go away. He can order the Justice Department to drop, drop the cases. That's not going to be how it works in the, in the state, uh, and particularly in, uh, the state of Georgia, even if the uh, convinces the governor to um, to to pardon him, he has to he will have to wait five years from the guilty verdict in order to receive the pardon, which means he'll still have to serve five years in jail before the he can be pardoned and the charges erased. Uh, and you know we will we'll circle back and talk through that in next week's show. Uh, what that could mean for his presidential campaign, uh, what that could mean should he be successful at it for being president. Uh, Somehow the idea of the president of the United States running the country from a jail cell in Georgia uh, just doesn't seem to fit logic or reality, but we will see. Uh, In any event, I would love to hear your thoughts, uh, your questions on it. Uh, If you have opinions on on any of these stories, uh, please, as I said, send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to seeing comments. Uh, be more than happy to respond back and get into dialogue. And, you know, it, it is, you know, just something that we need to discuss in broader context. So uh, with that being said, the only other thing I want to make mention is keep your ear to the ground because there are things coming from Fired Up uh, that uh, I think are going to be exciting. Uh, They're going to be a departure from uh, some of the things that we do right now, and they're going to be a couple of new chapters uh, to our show uh, that we're going to be adding on. And that's all I'm going to say. That's all the spoiler I'm going to give. So with that being said, everyone, please have a safe week. Take care. Be reminded that there is, you know, still COVID out there. So let's make sure we are protecting ourselves uh, where and when we need to. And uh, I will look forward to having uh, more discussions with you as we bring Fired Up right back here to WJMS Media. And I look forward to talking to you again in seven days. (laughs) 